Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or how to think, but discuss why people believe what they do and why it matters. On this journey, we will speak with artists, curators, influencers, and pastors. I'm Aaron Ross. And I'm Ben Gomez. Today on Everyday Theology, we have a distinct honor and pleasure to have uh, Dr. Doug Peterson with us, who is a, and I, and I want to make sure I get this right, professor of missions and intercultural studies at Vanguard University, right? Yes, correct. Perfect. I, I didn't mess it up well, from the start. It, it's an endowed chair. So what, what's your exact title? Um, my exact title is the Margaret S. Smith Distinguished Professor of World Mission and Intercultural Studies. Um, wonderful. That's pretty close to what you are saying. <laughs> and much, much fancier sounding than what I said. Yeah. Um, but also today with us, we have Dr. Waddell. Um, Dr. Peterson is with us here at Southeastern University to do a lecture for our on-campus uh, students and guests on a moral imagination, which is a very interesting phrase. But before we start talking about a moral imagination, um, we'd love to have you just introduce yourself, uh, let our listeners know a little bit about you, who you are, your background, and what you do. Okay, I'm. Uh, my name is Doug Peterson. I um, grew up in Canada uh, on a farm. Ooh. And uh, my parents were immigrants. Um, they only had grade eight, so education was a big deal in our family. Um, I went to a little Bible school in the basement of a church, which was actually really a wonderful experience, but wasn't accredited. And so that was a major thing. I wanted to get a degree that was accredited. Back then in Canada, those options weren't available for anything that was a Christian. So I uh, moved to Southern California and uh, went to a, a church there, but I went to what was now, what is now Vanguard University, Southern California College. It was before the day of adult programs. So I was an adult by now, I'm an ordained minister. And uh, I'd take a class in the morning, first one in the morning, next one at noon. Oh. And it took me like five years, yeah. but I made it. <laughs> yeah. That would be a good encouraging story for a lot of students that I know uh, like to take their time. <laughs> so what are you doing now? So from yeah. there, um, right after I graduated, uh, we went overseas to Central America, a little country, Central America called Belize, and um, with an intent of just going for a year. The idea being a family should do something. I mean, go to the inner city, do something for a year. And then I wanted to come back and continue my education. Um, and nothing ever quite works like that. Um, <laughs> we did go overseas and uh, I built a church. Then we came back and I went to a graduate program. I went to Pepperdine University to a graduate program in New Testament. And uh, part of the moral imagination needs to, for me, have this Pentecostal side. I uh, was just finishing up my program at Pepperdine um, I got stuff in the mail that day to uh, USC. They had a program in, in uh, New Testament ethics. And I thought, well, that's what I wanted to do. I'm, it's Monday night, so I'm watching football. And I got this stuff on the counter, and I'm babysitting. I got three little kids. And, you know, you change channels. So I switched the channel in the, during a commercial. And a friend of mine was singing on another channel, so I thought, well, I'll 
wait for her to be done, and then I'll go back. And when she got done, I stayed in the channel maybe a minute. But it was a world vision special, you know, mm, the kind yeah. you get in the middle of the night? Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I couldn't tell you a lot about it other than because I only watched it like a minute. But it was one of those experiences that you don't have often in your life. But I knew I'd had a spiritual encounter that this is, I just had that sense that the Lord speaking to me, this is what I want you to do with your life. Made no sense. Absolutely none. And uh, Myrna came home, my wife, and I told her about the experience and that something was going to change, but it didn't make any sense. We just prayed about it. Probably about three weeks went by and a door opened and um, out of there came this program that we call Latin America Child Care. Hmm. We went into slum communities and built schools, medical programs. In the beginning, we're talking one. Um, and feeding programs. And, you know, something the Lord just blessed. He had it a dream. Yeah. And um, we have 100,000 kids that go to school every oh, day. Oh, wow. In Gosh. 300 projects in 22 countries. So it indeed was this moral imagination where you just dream up. And sort of dream as you go. Um, and it turned into something absolutely marvelous. So that was a major part of our life for 25 years. And we've had like, I think, 1.8 million kids go through. Wow. And yeah. um, so that's one of the joys of our life. In that process, though, I kept my education going. And I got a PhD uh, in social theology. Hmm. And the wonderful opportunity there was to, at the same time while I'm doing the stuff, is to reflect on it Yeah. with my education. So I was able to write on it and um, do it at the same time. And it was like a praxis where one's informing the other. And so it was, it was actually quite dynamic out of it. And uh, so from there, I just started working a lot on the academic side as I kept the mission side, sometimes life doesn't go as you plan. And I got sick. We had to come back to the States. Fortunately, I had a, a chair at Vanguard University, so I had a backup plan. What was my <laughs> that's sideline? A, that's a nice backup plan right there, yeah. What was my sideline became my uh, full-time thing. Actually, we had a, Vanguard University had a grad program they'd started in the 80s. And so we opened one in Costa Rica. So I had that tie, but um, wasn't as we had planned. But so we came home. If you're going to be in exile, Southern California is a great place <laughs> for that to happen. Amen. And uh, so I have kept... I keep my hands on both sides, the academic and the mission side, it's just one's on my sideline. Yeah. And your work that was at the Oxford Center for Mission Studies where you did your PhD, that's what was published as not by might. Not nor by, by might, nor by power. Right, which I would recommend the listeners to kind of track that down. It's it's a great piece. So so now with with uh, to to pair your stories and and to ask a question on this moral imagination because you brought it up here. 
it, it sounds to me like there is some kind of collaboration between a reflection on your kind of theological ideology and what you are trying to learn while also putting it into practice. But how does having a moral imagination, first off, what is it? And how does that come into play in the way that you think about how one should live and your ethics? When we think, uh, first of all, in the first question about linking, um, one of the things that's often been a problem is you have people who are in the trenches, um, but it's not necessarily linked to a theological foundation. Yeah. And so one of the things that I was able to do was develop out this theology that how good it was, the Lord can decide, but it was first. <laughs> and yeah. that's always good to be first. Um, so you get this praxis where one works on the other. And out of that comes imagination because it isn't, it's really like the word's going to be new every morning. And what can I see? The goal is when I'm working in the slums, I'm working with the poor, two and two cannot make four. Hmm. We're never going to get there. It's too hard. If there isn't anything romantic about it, it sounds romantic to talk about. It is not. And so what role does the spirit play? Hmm. We think of the spirit in and all the other church activities we do. But what about in the social? Yeah. And that's where one needs this multiplication. So when we think about moral action, generally we'll divide it into three pieces, sort of relief. People are in a desperate situation and they need help, which is wonderful. We need to do that. Um, But often we don't get beyond that. The second would be structure, where you address the issues that cause the problem yeah. and try to mm-hmm. at least make some change. For example, Latin America child care, we would feed children. That would be relief because they're hungry. Yeah. But where the structure comes is the education. If they stay with us, they'll never have to go back to the slum. Hmm. And so that is a big piece how we do that is going to require a creative imagination that is infused by the spirit. Hmm. The third one's advocacy yeah. and the role in politics. But I will stay on this second one. We tend to get stuck in a rut. And if we do get to the structure things, it's usually um, institutional kind of things, alternative options which is what I've done most of the time. Our ministry was that. But they cost a huge amount of money. Yeah. So what is it about us as Pentecostals that, I mean, we are assertive. (laughs) We go against the grain. Mm -hmm. When it looks like we're going to lose, we don't. How about working with our strengths and allow the spirit to spark something that you could, in secular terms, you can say, I thought it in the shower. (laughs) And it just hit me. I wasn't thinking about it. But I can't do the same thing. I need something that's different. And so one of the things I'll, I'll talk about, in fact, I'm doing a lecture tonight 
um, at Southeastern, one of the things I'll, I, I will talk about there is what we do naturally hmm. is build social capital. Yeah. By pure, it's just, you can't possibly be a Pentecostal in a small church. <laughs> and not do social capital. Yeah. We don't think of it that way. We don't think of it necessarily as social. It's what you do with people who need something. Yeah. Um, here is an area that I think takes imagination. Things that we have not gone down the road before and aren't going to bankrupt us. Yeah. What are those type of activities? And so I would make a list of, okay, here's relief, here's structure, here's advocacy. What are creative things that will equip people? It changes the situation. So this isn't about relief. We should do relief. But what are things, that, how we could equip? Well, um, there's this series that's on PBS called The New Americans. Mm-hmm. It follows yep. five families. If you're familiar, a year before they come, and then through the five years they're here, and you see what is it they come up against: identity, culture, language, fear. Um, well, you cannot watch that through without having something happen in your heart, and you see them struggling. You think, what could the church do? Yeah, this is like picking cherries. Um, what are things that the church could do that would build social capital, help them function within a society, build this civil society? Now, most of the stuff I've done, I've developed in a Latin American context. But this kind of thing, new Americans, 13%, what, 13% of the U.S. is foreign-born? Something to that effect. I just pulled that number out of my head. But millions and millions. Mm-hmm. And... New Americans, if you've ever lived in a place that's new, you're afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a language, the food, how do the banks work? Uh, what is something that a 12-year-old knows? Every 12-year-old in that culture knows. That's kind of things we could be doing yeah. and make a huge difference in, the, in their life, not just about the gospel. Because we don't do, it's not like a, a something on the end of a stick. But because we do it, the gospel does have that wonderful look. But what are things we could do, any of us, where we go at it intentionally, yeah. not ad hoc? I, I something, something that you said there kind of stuck. And, and if we're talking about having a moral imagination... Not just in relief, but actually changing structures. When we think about the church, and, and especially in a, maybe a Western evangelical context, I think so much of our social imagination is, or our moral imagination is primarily on how, what else do I do? What can I do that's creative or unique to get someone saved? Right, to get someone into my church, to get someone in the pew, to get someone giving. Like a lot of our moral imagination kind of resides on this reality. And what I'm hearing you saying is we need to learn how to have a, a moral imagination that goes beyond just a traditional understanding of preaching the gospel, but actually engages with the gospel uh, with where people are. 
And I, I think I find that beautiful. And I think that that's a necessary component to where we've been. Um, and, and that's probably for me, you know, one of the kind of whiplashes of my Pentecostal upbringing is when I was um, a kid, I, my Pentecostal churches that I was a part of was constantly trying to think about the community. There was food banks. We were going and doing things with the poor in the community. And it was a constant, what do we do next to actually engage with people, whether it's both in relief or uh, social change. Um, But then by the time I got to college, I felt like every time I went to church, it was how do we get more people in the door and saved? And I didn't necessarily know how to handle the switch. You know, for me, it's a... This is one of these theological points that it's absolutely essential. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion and he mm. fed them. When they rushed to follow him, he stopped them. So this isn't the same thing. <laughs> uh, count the cost. Yeah. Um, Jesus ministered to people because he loved them. There is no, there's no other agenda mm. because he love them. There's no carrot on the end of a stick. When there's a carrot on the end of the stick, that's exploitive. Yeah. Now, do I want the gospel? That's uh, the most important thing for me. Yeah. But it's it becomes then an attitude. I need to help people. I need to make a difference in their life. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, period. Mm-hmm. Am I going to try to bring the good news? Absolutely. But I don't do this because it's a great way where I can, it's the same thing as the soup kitchen. I'll, I'll um, give you something to eat after I give you a tract. Mm, yeah. um, so, so much of it has to do with attitude. What is in my own Heart. What is it I'm trying to do? So anytime one would hear, oh, what a wonderful way to open up a way to the gospel. I know what they mean, yeah. mostly. Yeah. But sometimes, too often, they mean just what I heard. Yeah. That this is, it's a carrot on the end of a stick. Jesus does not do that. And we need that really clear in our approach. We do this. Because we're followers of Jesus. That's what we do. Am I going to give the gospel? Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm not doing it because. I think that's beautiful, Doug. I really love it. It's, it's almost to say, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the, the gospel is not the gospel if it's coercive mm, and manipulative. Yeah. Like if we really want to give them the gospel, we want to give them the good news of Jesus's love. And having received that good news of love and a full belly uh, relief and education structure and perhaps also some advocacy so that the, the, the structures can continue to change and reform for the better, they'll, they'll experience, you know, the gospel. And, and certainly it's not, it's not exclusive of their conversion and of their salvation and their forgiveness of their sins. But to imagine that we can somehow package the gospel in a coercive carrot at the end of the stick way and it not negatively impact 
the message of the gospel. Yeah, is, yeah. Mm-hmm. is to not not think through it far enough, and that's that's why we need a theology, a social theory, um, a social theology. It's so nice to to have that to have you with us and to be thinking through those things. I think it needs a second step then, where that is the foundation. Then the next is doing. Yeah. And what role does the spirit play in the doing? Like that social could look like, are we Pentecostals who do social concern or is our action Pentecostal? Is it Pentecostal social concern? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a huge difference. Um, and here's where, again, this imagination. Acts 2 is the definitive event in Acts. And when um, any of the writers would take a look at a church, what is it healthy? They has to have these barriers broken down. Gender? Mm-hmm. Male, female, economic, rich, poor, um, ethnic, Jew, Gentile, slave, free. If you um, just follow those through the book of Acts, and I actually got this from my friend Marie Dempster, and I just developed it out or just took it wholesale. Uh, but each which, which time, by the way, just so our listeners know, Murray Dempster is also in the room with us. Uh, <laughs> and we're celebrating him both tonight and tomorrow as he retires from his role as our distinguished professor of social ethics. Didn't, didn't mean to interrupt, but, you know, it's just a little tear run, running down my face uh, in his retirement. But go ahead. Yeah, it is. Th- those barriers were broken down by the power of the spirit. We have these same issues and our challenges are the same you can't work hard enough and break them down yeah it's going to take a miracle so if you take the acts to event for example tongues visible sign that jesus christ is rose from the dead these stories are true just think of the equality mm-hmm. you know we think of it all in that typical sense but just think of it social a person who has been marginalized, been left by the side of the road, nobody cares what they say. Yeah. They have no voice. Now, jumps over. They jump over religious uh, establishment. They go over the political establishment. Um, they have direct pipeline mm. to ultimate reality. Yeah. That is unbelievably yeah. powerful, subversive, because the people they're jumping over are used to controlling those take a look at healing that plays such a big role and if that's part of my church planning it's not part of my social um i'm leaving all the power behind and i'm back slugging this out by myself it's not gonna work yeah and take like the miracles divine coincidences, divine interventions. The scripture's filled with those. I need to have those. I need to be able to find favor. I need the spirit operating. And the role, say, prayer plays. One of the, I don't know if I'll do this tonight, depending on my time, but one of the really important things to find out are these active in what you're doing 
or just in your mind hmm. um, is listen to the stories of the people who you're helping. Get a large enough sample and listen yeah. and see what you hear. Do you hear about salvation? You hear about the power of the Spirit? You hear about healing? Do you hear about... If you're not hearing those things, it's not happening. Yeah. And they're going to be in the testimonies. One of the things I do is with children, because they don't know how to spin. They just, whatever it is, <laughs> it is. And the, the power of this imagination when it's infused by the power of the Spirit makes all the difference as to whether we're just going to slug it out and burn out or the opportunity to change things for people. I love, I love what you said there in terms of like thinking about Acts chapter two in the relation that the spirit, when we have this, if I can just maybe recap it, when we have this moral imagination, that's kind of born out of the spirit, we actually find that the spirit is breaking down the barriers that we always thought that might be just implicit within our society. So thinking about rich, poor, I mean, I know growing up, you know, the, the rich, poor dynamic was very much pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. You can make it. You can get to this rich status. And then we look at the whole kind of 1% and, you know, the, how many, you know, the top top earners and top uh, wealthiest in America equals like 80% of the bottom. And, and what does the spirit have to say about the imagination of bridging the gaps and taking down the barriers that we have always imagined that just are implicit, that have to be there for whatever reason, whether it's rich, poor, or free and slave, or uh, Jew and Gentile in terms of ethnicities. Uh, what kind of a moral imagination, how do we have that immoral imagination? So it's, I, sometimes I, I ponder to myself, well, it's easy to always kind of say, well, the spirit can do it. But what does it look like to actually say the spirit engages with us to help us find these moments of a good moral imagination, which breaks down the barriers? Let's take um, women, for example. Um, I need the spirit. It's a huge issue, gender. I need the spirit to help me spark What's something I can do that will work in this context? Then I need the Spirit to help me do it. So depends what. Um, one of the big ones that for Latin America would be um, a ladder of leadership. It's something we do naturally, but it's something we do very intentionally. A woman will come in, she has no dignity, no value, no worth. She discovers she's created in God's image. And anything, skill she has is going to be developed. Hmm. There's a women's group. If you have 12 people in a church, you got a women's group. And that <laughs> women's group is going to have a leader. And they're going to have an assistant. They're going to have a treasurer. Well, you're developing out this leadership skill that they would never dream in their community. Hmm. Well, the next church has it, the next church has it, the next church, now you have a region that has a leader and an assistant. And this ladder of leadership um, can, when you work at it intentionally, someone who didn't even have leadership in her own family may have a thousand women. Hmm. Now they can, they're a player in civil society. Yeah. Where they know how to talk. 
they know how to how things work. They're used to. I can't do any of that without the spirit. I need what is it in this context, and then I need to have the spirit help me actually do it. So it's not pontificating. Mm. See, it'll turn out to pontificating. What can we do? We got to help women. Blah blah blah. What particular thing do we need in this context that will make that difference? And um, I think, and I'll think, and I'll think, and then boom, got it. Yeah. And it's not that I got it, it's the spirit. And then to make it happen, help it find favor, open the door. And if you bloom where you're planted and you're faithful, um, the testimonies that come are absolutely marvelous. Mm. Um, what role does the spirit in thinking it up and in then carrying it out where I get away from the, well, we got to do this, we got to do that, because we'll be having that discussion forever. Yeah, so it reminds me, you know, um, I think it was Dr. King who was fond of, of saying this, that uh, sometimes we'll have analysis to paralysis so we can analyze it forever and, and kind of never do anything. And that I thought what you had to say there was very helpful uh, on multiple points that, that the spirit, that we can't just be trying to get on with our work because we have neither the energy nor the ideas that we need to solve these problems. They're too big. And that the spirit doesn't just inspire our speech, our prophecy, our witnessing, our tongues, but the spirit also inspires our imagination to address these kind of social issues. I mean, it's a message that uh, I think I have heard in some ways over the years, uh, but it's been a minority report, you know, and I, I hope that um, for our students at Southeastern and for the whole kind of next generation of Pentecostals, that they'll be able to kind of follow you on this path, Doug, and embrace the full gospel, really. So if, if we're thinking about, I mean, I love what the relief I think they get. It's the structure stuff that would be new for them. And then the advocacy would be almost a little, um, you know, talking about subversive, a little dangerous. Uh, how might that look? Like, how might the advocacy work look? I think um, for that advocacy, first of all, you need to have worked on that second level. Um, gotcha. Or else the gap's too big. Good point. If you can't work in community, how are you going to work on a, a much larger scene? We don't do much to prepare people to, to participate, um, and we need to. But advocacy can take, I plead the cause of children. But advocacy can also, um, what is my role, for example, in the political realm? Um, this one does take some training and some, some prudence, uh, to use Aristotle's virtues, common sense, where time, place, this might be appropriate here, right, it might yeah. not be there. It depends what is my role. But we are not good at this third one. And um, it's something that we need to develop 
inside, we need to prepare our young people to be able to participate in something that moves just beyond civil society. We have that right. We are, we follow exactly what Paul teaches about your allegiance. As long as you're following what makes God happy. When that is consistently violated, I don't know my allegiance. Hmm. Yeah. And in fact, I have an allegiance elsewhere and we go to another part of Paul to sustain that. Nobody gets us, well, I'm with you no matter what. Right. I'm with you as long as, and if that stops, I don't, you can't claim my total allegiance. But this is, is much trickier. And I'm comfortable on the advocacy as it relates to me pleading the cause. The political side is um, much dicier, and it depends a lot on what country you're even living in. Sure. Yeah. But we need to do it. I, I feel like, and this can be this can be dicey territory to kind of wander into, especially as we talk about advocacy and politics. But what you just said there, I think, is so important in terms of uh, allegiance and kind of this uh, prudence, common sense, and and just the moral attitude of recognizing that as Christians, our allegiance is primarily to the precepts of God because of God first and foremost, not to any individual or political party, um, to where advocacy, I, I see from my kind of seat, that advocacy has kind of taken a step back from what is moral and what is true to what we think best aligns with myself. And um, that's made things blurry for a lot of people who look to Christians to say, you're supposed to be the ones who are upholding kind of a moral reality, and yet allegiance has been given to immoral things. And we have a hard time being advocates for that reason, that we are not advocating for morality, we're advocating for political parties, uh, one way or the other, right? Not pointing any finger, we just advocate towards well, this is my party, so this is the one I accept, versus this may be my party, but this is immoral, and I'm going to call it out, and I'm going to advocate for what should be and how it should be in terms of this moral imagination. And I think for a lot of people that kind of, they push back on that quite a bit. They don't, I think a lot of people will have a hard time figuring out how to both be an advocate uh, without leaving the community, without just going to another, a whole nother space, without kind of just ditching it. Um, because it's easier to find a new group that kind of already accepts what you already think than it is to say, hey, where I'm at, we need to actually advocate for something better. It's called a Faustian bargain, hmm. where you trade something that's integrally important to you for something else that may be important. Um, usually on the shorter term, almost always that turns out to be a bad bargain, hmm. especially who you are at the end. Um, it's almost never a good idea 
to do something wrong to do something right. But yeah. it always turns out badly. And you end up owing your soul. That's the problem with the Faustian bargain. You're not even fond of yourself <laughs> at the end because you had to sell quite a bit hmm. for something very important. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't think that is the way, as believers, we do ethics. Maybe I don't live in the real world. <laughs> well, and, and I've been blamed for not living in the real world either and having some kind of like, um, uh, I don't want to call it moral kind of high ground. Like some people like use it as moral high ground or they'll kind of like point a name to it or whatever to say, well, you just keep having that ideology because that sounds good, but that just doesn't work. What works is to make these exchanges. But we don't want to become... We, we want to be pragmatic to the, to the extent that we can be effective, but we don't want to be pragmatic simply to be effective, Yeah. right? That's, that's why what we're talking about, I, I think, to be the moral imagination. The, the, it's not that you, you're right, Doug. I think you don't live in a real world. You live in a world of moral imagination that calls the rest of us into a better world. And I think that's, that's the ministry of the gospel, both in terms of your academic work and in terms of your work with Latin American child care and those, you know, million plus children, right, who now have received education and have received food. And um, that is, you know, positively changing things. And so I, I agree with you, Aaron, that it, we do live in this kind of awkward time where, where we seem to be morally confused, and our imagination seemed to be a bit dull. Like we can't imagine a, uh, anything better than what we got. And yeah. so we just settle for the lesser of two evils. And we do that kind of Faustian bargain um, that's, that I agree with you uh, rarely, if ever, works out well. Um, but I think to those points, Doug, that you were making earlier, whether it's rich and poor, whether it's slave or free, whether it's male and female, whether it's Greek or Jew, I mean, I think those areas maybe throw in the um, care of the environment. And, and we have the, the, the major kind of social concerns today yeah. are, are much the same yeah. as they were in Acts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I think it's all over the book of Acts. Uh, when we look at every little story, oftentimes I think we miss it. Like you were talking about earlier, and I think one of my favorites is the Ethiopian eunuch and the story of someone who was left out of the community of the people of God according to the Torah law that wasn't allowed to be baptized, wasn't allowed to practice, wasn't allowed for you know any of this. And and yet the Spirit says to Philip, "This is." This is the person. This is, of course, they can be baptized. Of course, they can be a part of this. Um, which would have taken an imagination. It would have taken an imagination for Philip to go, ah, no, you can be a part of the people of God, and there's no issue here whatsoever whether or not you're a eunuch. Um, I don't know, like you were saying, Robbie, I don't know, I don't know if we have that kind of imagination anymore. I mean, I know that people do. I mean, clearly, uh, Dr. Peterson, you do, because you, you have this amazing ministry. Um, but I think as a whole, I, I, I don't see it as much. How do we, how do we kind of live in a reality that's, that we say we don't have to choose a lesser of two evils? We, we, we can 
we can not just demand and advocate for, but actually create social structure change to say that the lesser of two evils does not have to be the choice. But we can actually say there is a good choice, and that choice is what reflects the kingdom of God. One of the things I've done over the past uh, year, perhaps, is with this New Americans I've talked about. I have the students go through, I have a guide, but, and I, I keep track. I want them to take relief, take structure, take advocacy. What could your church hmm. do in these categories now if this were your situation and they don't count if they cost money? Because hmm. that's going to end a lot of things, yeah. especially churches that are, that are really inclined often because they are, they don't have it themselves. What are those things I've been keeping a list, and things that where we don't have to? This is pie in the sky. It is not pie in the sky. It is low hanging fruit. Yeah, that we haven't thought about it intentionally. Um, we haven't thought about if we think about it. It's well. We're being kind, no more than that. But we're, we're equipping people to function hmm. like any meaningful person. That is absolutely structure. Yeah. And it is not complicated. What gifts do you have in the house? Um, and how might you use those? Yeah. Um so I just be keeping a list, and like in classes, I'll have pastors, I'll have nonprofit, I'll have some business. Um, really, doesn't matter your role. What are stuff? Yeah, I think that's a in some some sense that's almost a good challenge for our listeners to kind of to end our our time together is to think that what are the lowest hanging fruit? If almost if you take money out of it, because like you said, I agree. Oftentimes we we almost dream up something so big that we convince ourselves we can't because of the money or whatever the issues are. Maybe we, because it is that we actually can't, but what is exactly, what is it that we can do um, to actually make change with what we already have? That I think is a harder question for some people to ask because once they start asking that question, the answer is, well then go and do like, if you figured it out, go and do it. Um, and we don't necessarily want to always go and do, uh, thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Peterson. And thank you. It's been wonderful to have you. Um, is there any, any books that you can recommend books that you've written for our listeners to kind of follow along with this kind of work and this thought that you've been, uh, processing? Um, one that has, um, directly related to, uh, how Pentecostal are you? Is the article is called um, Pentecostals and Social Justice Stories of Grace. And it's published by Erdman's. And you wouldn't believe this is possible, but it is. I don't remember the name. Um, another um, is Baker. And it is actually called The Moral Imagination. Oh, look, there it is, yeah. And um, again, um, Veli Mate is the editor. 
you think I can remember the name of the books that I have stuffed. But, um. well, I would also recommend uh, Called and Empowered, yeah. uh, a book that uh, Murray Dempster and Byron Klaus and Doug Peterson edited together. And then also Pentecostalism, A Religion Made to Travel. Mm. And then just uh, kind of underscore what we said earlier, not by might, but by the... Not by might nor by power. Yeah. Is, is an excellent uh, access into uh, Peterson's thought. And I'm sure they can all be found on Amazon. They, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. The um, globalization of Pentecostalism, a religion made to travel, has a great little section in there on market, world market culture. Hmm. And how will we as Pentecostals respond to um, world market culture in comparison to how Acts 2. Hmm. The person who wrote it is, in, is Harvey Cox, who is yeah. uh, Harvard Divinity School. And it's like four or five pages. It's just brilliant. And and apropos for what we're going through right now, I think, in our world. Most definitely. Um, again, thank you so much for being here with us. We've quite enjoyed it, and we hope to have you back soon. Thank you.